0: Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game changing technologies to shake up the status quo with big data and real time and predictive analytics from the consumer to the enterprise. Learn how to help your organization move in exciting new directions. Here's your host, Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the game changers and change the world, you are in the right place. Let's see what the buzz on the street is. I have a quote from Dr. Mark Drapeau, D-R-A-P-E-A-U, the principal at Edge and Flame, a boutique consultancy in Washington, D.C. He says that the crossroads of global power and influence, that sounds so important. Here's the quote. The real secret of success in Government 2.0 mm-hmm. is thinking about government as a platform. Now, those of you who are regular listeners to all of our Game Changer series, we know we have 14 currently in live production and adding a few more soon, you know, we talk about platform, companies as a platform. It's a very interesting concept, and a lot of organizations are doing it now. So let's see what this talks about here. Think about we have government, we have laws, we have organizations that put laws in place, and we look to them for things, for services, for guidance. Okay. Not always good, but we're not talking politics here. So think about a phrase very familiar in the U.S. here, government of the people, by the people, for the people. Yes. It resonates around the world. That's the ideal. That's what we want. But polls today reveal there is a deep distrust of governing institutions. Why? Because they seem to forget the people part of of the people, by the people, for the people. Let's look at technology now. That's what we do here on Game Changers. Think about something brand new called e-government and something called open government. We'll talk about those in a few minutes. When we put them together, we combine them, we put the synergy together, they pave the way for Government 2.0. Aha! A next-generation collaborative technology that uses social media. Come on, you know you're out there using it somewhere. Cloud computing, we know you've heard of it. New technologies and AI, that's artificial intelligence-based apps to increase citizen participation, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Our topic is smart citizens, and we know either you are or you want to be. How to Make Government More Accountable. It's a big topic. We have a wonderful panel, and they're going to help explain it to us. First up, in just a moment, I am welcoming back a lady who's been on several times before, always very smart and insightful. It's Colleen Hardwick at Play speak and she'll tell us about her wonderful organization in a few minutes. Joining her is a newcomer, Michelle Spector, S-P-E-C-K-T-O-R, if you want to look her up, co-founder and EVP of Business Development at IP Gallery, and she'll tell us about her organization in a few minutes. And rounding out the panel is somebody who's been away far too long On here on Startup Focus, Mark Narona, Startup Engagement Lead at SAP Startup Focus. And of course, a shout out to Christina Sosa, who puts these wonderful topics and panels together for the series. So let's start off with Colleen Hardwick, and Colleen has sent us a quote, a very memorable quote, Colleen, haven't heard it in a while, and it's so true, from FDR, that's Franklin Delano Rosa. Roosevelt. He lived from 1882 to 1945. We call him FDR fondly here in the U.S. He was the 32nd president of the U.S. from 1933 till his death in 1945. He was a Democrat, and he won a record four presidential elections and became a central figure in world events during the mid-20th century. Look him up if you don't know him. Here's the quote. The only thing we have to fear is
2: fear itself.
1: Colleen Hardwick, how have you been?
2: I've been very well. Good to hear you, Bonnie. Good to be back.
1: Thank you. You too. I know you're a really busy lady. I'm always excited when you're on the panel because you have so much to say. So talk to me about who who is fearing what or whom. You know, we're not going to get political, but we're talking about the goal of government 2.0. So can you tie it up for us a little bit, please?
2: Well, sure. Um, The thing that most people are afraid of and government falls into this category is change. Paradoxically, we always, uh, you know, people will say that they want change, um, but when it really comes down to it, they don't. Uh, change makes people afraid. And when we're talking about government 2.0 and we're talking about the kinds of changes that need to happen in the relationship between the public and the public sector, the public sector, elected officials and bureaucrats are really quite afraid of dealing with the public when it comes right down to it. So, We only have to be afraid of fear itself because ultimately change is the only constant.
1: Plus a change, plus a la même chose. You remember that one, Colleen? That's one of my favorite French quotes. Yes, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And around and around, the wheel of progress goes. Thank you, Colleen. We have a lot more to speak with you about in a few minutes. Let's get our newcomer on, Michelle Spector. She is talking to us from Israel. We'll find out a little bit later where exactly she is. And Michelle has sent us a quote from John Lennon. Oh, my. John Winston Ono Lennon, MBE. I don't know if a lot of people know he took his wife... Yoko Ono's last name is his middle name a long long time ago I didn't know that was part of his name he was one of the Beatles I don't have to say anything more and worldwide fame and he was gunned down in New York way way too soon very uh, let's shall we say controversial figure in terms of his politics here is the quote Michelle has selected reality leaves a lot to the imagination Michelle Spector Shalom welcome bienvenue how are you today Thank you. Very excited to be on the show, Bonnie. Thanks for inviting me. We're and delighted. I'm Talk to me about your forward. quote. To...
3: Yes. Looking back, it has always been reality with a sprinkle of imagination that turned which seems impossible into something that is possible indeed. Um, it is the spark of all great innovations. Most people treat imagination as something that has nothing to do with reality, but um, imagination shapes the way we see our reality, affects our experiences and hopes and actions and behaviors. One of the greatest daydreamers uh, was mm-hmm. uh, Thomas Edison, and he's the American greatest inventor with over 1,093 patents. Without him, we couldn't have this um, show today is <laughs> right. the inventor of the electric light, the telegraph, sound recording, motion pictures, the battery for electric car. So um, if you can imagine it and you can
1: believe it,
3: you can definitely achieve it.
1: So, Michelle, I, I love that explanation of the quote. Now, what does that have to do with governing and citizens and participation and what we just discussed with uh, Colleen Hardwick, the concept of government 2.0? Are, is it reality yet? Are we imagining it? Will it happen? Any thoughts on that?
3: Well, I agree with Colleen. Government citizens, by their nature, are complex, the physical, to some degree, they're digital today, and human-based silo-systems. There is a true need for imagination to see how these systems change and um, how they uh, transform into what we vision
1: and hope for Government 2.0. Thank you very much. Is it far off? Is it here yet? Just a quick answer on that one. Uh, I think it's further away than we would hope. Okay. <laughs> That's what I wanted to know. Thank you very much Michelle and welcome. And we'll talk to you a little bit about your company and where you are in just a few minutes. And now let's welcome back Mark Nerona. Mark was on almost every show in this series a couple of years ago, weren't you Mark? You were you were my mainstay. Remember?
4: Yes, I do remember.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and he would say, oh, no, is it really three weeks already? Do I have to come back? No, you were very gracious about it. Marcus sent us a quote from Thomas Jefferson. Boy, we're really waxing uh, waxing statesmen here. Uh, and Thomas Jefferson, 1743 to 1826, one of the American founding fathers, the principal author of the Declaration of Independence, and the third president of the U.S. from 1801 to 1809. He was also elected the second VP of the United States, Service serving under John Adams from 1797 to 1801, which which brought him into the presidency. Very interesting guy. And now let's read the quote. Every man, and of course we're thinking every woman and everybody else, feels that he is a participator in the government affa- of affairs, not merely at an election one day in the year, but every day. Mark, love the quote. Talk to me.
4: So, this uh, first off, this... Uh This quote is actually captured from a paragraph in a letter that Thomas Jefferson has written to this gentleman, Joseph Cable, uh, in the 1800s. Um, So it's not, I mean, that paragraph, it's not a verbatim, it's kind of been distilled out of there. But I think, you know, that entire compendium of work that the founding fathers had, uh, you know, penned down in the form of letters, essays, all of those things have been put together by... Um, I believe it's the University of Chicago Press, if I'm not mistaken, and they tried to share some of the thinking and the vision around the founding of the government. Now, it's interesting that we're talking about uh, government 2.0 in 2018. Um, that's a long, long while later. But the fact is that it looks like the you know the vision of the founding fathers in America and. Um, in so many other countries in the world is to create this form of participatory in government by each individual um, mm-hmm. and it is only when that happens that you know a truly transparent uh, form of governing evolves now, whether we're there uh, today. Uh, Obviously not. Um, Are we heading in that direction? It definitely looks like it. If we just look at what is happening here at home in the United States of America, across the country, um, how governments at the federal, state, and local levels are making an attempt to be more open, making an attempt to be more transparent, using technology to enable that, and to enable that participation from the average citizen um, or the average resident of the United States, I would say there's been a tremendous uh, move in the direction of what we are all collectively calling government 2.0. So, you know, I found the quote interesting because it was, well, interesting that this was, you could argue, one of the visions of the founding fathers. And here we are, so many hundreds of years later, um, bringing in our... Technology, our Silicon Valley. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just take that since i have been in the valley mm-hmm. long enough now. Our sure. Silicon Valley technology, and our Silicon Valley thinking, and applying it to government. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is indeed a full circle.
1: Thank you very much. Let, let me go around the table with a quick question before we ask where you are and what you're drinking today, or what you love to drink. Colleen, I'm gonna start with you. Do citizens really want to participate that much, or is it just a few? Are we only interested in participating when something doesn't go our way, or we don't get something, or when we have to, quote-unquote, fight City Hall for something we think is our right? Colleen, just, uh, just wondering, we talk about this wonderful Government 2.0, and everybody will participate. Do people really
2: want to participate? Just your observation. I think there's a demographic curve on that. Um, mm-hmm. as people grow older, as they have more skin and life's game, they're more interested in participating. So if they have kids in schools, if they own property and pay property taxes, uh, they're going to be more likely to participate and see the importance of participating. That said, um, we see an over uh, over uh, participation rate as people get to the end spectrum, seniors are, for example, overrepresented in in uh, public participation, and mm-hmm. the challenge has really been on the other end getting young people involved uh, mm-hmm. to show up to vote and to engage um, on an ongoing basis. So there's there's no single answer to that. It's really depending on where people are in their lives that's going to have an influence on their level of participation.
1: Thank you. Great answer. I'd love to get some insights from Michelle Spector. Michelle, you are in Israel. I know you were educated in the United States. You, uh, you lived in New York, part of uh, an organization. We'll talk about that in a minute. But you have a very global view. Michelle, what do you think about people wanting to or not be involved as a participant actively in government? What are your, what's your observation?
3: I think from my observation worldwide today, there is more an increase of um, need and an increase of interest of the citizens to participate in government activities in general. And um, although there is an interest, there is still a lack of participation. There is an effort involved with it. And um, this is one of the greatest challenges of government and municipalities in general, is how to show the citizens that um, they're being taken care of and how can they connect to this new city hall and be served better. And that's something we should all um,
1: look forward to seeing. Thank you very much. Good good approach there. And Mark Nerona. love to get your thoughts on this, and then we will go around the table on where you all are. So go ahead, Mark.
4: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think everybody wants to participate, irrespective of... Uh, is demographic, um, the extent to which they do participate, and the mode that they use—whether it's whether it's writing a letter or whether it's tweeting—you um, know, there's a wide variance there. But I would argue that everybody wants to participate. But I think one of the things that's happening—there um, was this phrase I came across. I haven't read the book, and I I wanted to before this show, but unfortunately wasn't able to get around to it. But it's a book written by. Uh, Donald Kettle, it's called The Next Government of the United States, Why our Institutions Fail Us and How to Fix Them? So, it's from this gentleman that he he coined a phrase called that we have this concept of vending machine government. You know, Mm -hmm. you pay your taxes, you get back services. Um, So, it's kind of, you put your money in, you get your can of coke. Well, if it doesn't work, that's when you go and protest and you kind of shake the vending machine. That's been what our mode of Mm. interacting with government has been, and that is under change so this government 2.0 movement that we see coming is basically changing that vending model machine uh, vending machine model of government so i i, I would call, you know, i would say that you know i've always seen just from personal experience and people around me that everybody wants to participate and um, i think we're getting better it's slow it's very 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 slow but i think we're getting better and what we've done till now is dramatic in comparison to the way the world was 10 years ago
1: Thank you very much, and I just have to say that of the people, by the people, for the people was coined by Abraham Lincoln. I just wanted to make sure I annotated that one. Uh, let's go around the table. Interesting. So everybody, at one form or another, one stage in life and another, depending on who they are, where they are, what their needs are, may want to participate. And now the question with Government 2.0 is how do we make it easier for them to not only participate, but participate well and get what they need Back from their government or make it happen. A lot of interesting thoughts on the table here. And if you're just joining us, we're not talking politics here. We're talking about smart citizens, how to make government, <clears throat> I'm going to put an S on that, more accountable and participate more to make that happen. So let's go around the table and do our usual what's in your cup today. Colleen Harwick at PlaySpeak. Tell us a little bit about what your what PlaySpeak is, how you founded it, and then where are you today and
2: what do you love to drink? Go ahead, Colleen. Sure. Well, PlaySpeak is a location-based citizen engagement platform, and it was developed as a solution to the problem of how to consult with people online within specific geographical boundaries and prove it. Um, One of the big challenges, of course, in engaging with the public online is making sure that they're a real person and not a bot and that uh, that they're real and and they're not a troll trying to uh, discredit or disrupt the process. So Playspeak was really developed as a solution for that, and in the day of the days of Cambridge Analytica and the kind of disruptions that are going on online, it's super important to know uh, that we're dealing with real people within jurisdictional boundaries. So that's what Playspeak is all about. Where I am right now is New Orleans, I am in the city of New Orleans, and I've been here for the last few days for the American Planning Association's um, annual conference. Um, again speaking on the subject of of using online tools for gathering feedback to inform planning decisions and since i'm staying in a hotel where i'm calling you from um i'm afraid mm-hmm. my my drink of choice today is hotel coffee in a, in a paper <laughs> cup because uh, that that was what it was available for me but we did go on a bit of a pub crawl the uh, the first night we were here and they uh-huh. had all sorts of fantastic Ooh. things to drink in New Orleans, um, but right now um, I'm afraid I'm in a coffee and a paper cup. Well,
1: I want to know if all of the drinks you did or did not sample, or observe, or or see, or sniff, or touch on your pub crawl, Colleen, did anything capture your fancy that you'll have to go back and say, "Pour me one of those." Anything really at the top
2: of the list? Well, it's called a hurricane. Uh, which, uh, after Katrina, I think was something that was invented here in New Orleans. So, uh, yeah, I'd have to say it's the the New Orleans hurricane. I'm going to look up and see <laughs> if
1: I can quickly find Hurricane Cocktail. It's a super boozy, rum-based concoction that will get the party started no matter where you are. Does that sound like the right one? Yes. Oh, Yeah. And they call New Orleans here in AllRecipes.com. They call it num- the number one party town in America. Dark rum, light rum, passion fruit syrup, and lime juice in a cocktail shaker, and you can even top it with sparkling wine. Oh my! I'm I'm past, I'm already passing out just reading the recipe here, Colleen. Thank you very. Thank you for your your Nor- We had a. Um, a a kind of a nightclub restaurant on Long Island in Mineola, if anybody's familiar, and they call it Norlin's, N-A-W-L-I-N-S, and they play Norlin's jazz. There you go. So they went really Southern on that one. And now, let's, thank you, Colleen. Let's speak to our, our guest calling in from Israel, Michelle Spector. Michelle, first, tell us where you are and what time is it, and then tell us a little bit about your company, IP Gallery. Go ahead, Michelle. Okay, I'm based out of Israel now.
3: We are a U.S. company, but our R&D subsidiary is based in Ryanana which is 20 minutes north of Tel Aviv if there's no traffic, which rarely, never happens. But um, IB Gallery is a software company. We've been in business for over 18 years with a connected um people in the telecommunications era and uh, for the past six years, we realized that we connect everything. So we um, became a major player in the IoT area and we help our um, traditional customers, the telcos, the communication service providers, to stay relevant in this era and uh, make cities and government smarter. And smartness means different things to different people. But when I was looking up some um, ideal city concept, that came about um, Leonardo da Vinci's concept of the ideal city in the Renaissance from 1488 years ago, and all he said was he has to create a city that is more united, that there's greater communications and services, and sanitation, and if I take it to our day's um, understanding, so more united is still relevant, communication is definitely needed, services most important, and sanitation is our well-being and safety, and there is a quote of da Vinci that says, only let that which is good-looking be seen on the surface of the city. And I think this really means everything when we look into making a city smarter it has to be also better looking better functioning and a p- better place to live work and play. so today we offer an holistic solution that is modular it's mix and match every city can choose whatever is most required at the moment we address common challenges and future challenges in terms of um, public safety, transportation,
1: um, climate changes, and so forth. Thank you very much, Michelle. And what are you drinking today? And what time is it there right now? What are you drinking right now? What do you plan to drink after the show? It's 7.28 p.m.
3: And my favorite drink is the exotic uh, Chou de citron. Can you tell me what that is? Say it again. uh, Yes, I will. It's um, hot water with lemon in French. Uh. (laughs) I travel the world much. Everywhere I go, I make sure I know to say this in the right local language because everyone understands iced water or hot water or tea with lemon, but hot water with lemon always causes a problem. Oh, so say it say it again
1: and say it again one more time. Did you say it in French just a moment ago? I want to hear it again. I
3: hope so. I don't know
1: French. Oh, okay. <laughs> I like it. Thank you very much, Michelle. Such a pleasure to have you on and thank you. I know it's your evening and we appreciate it. And now let's turn to Mark Narona. Mark, where are you? And what are you drinking? What powers you to be the startup engagement lead at SAP
4: Startup Focus, Mark? So, so I decided to work for my home office today and forgot that my neighbors are constructing something oh. monstrous. So I am right now hiding in whichever <laughs> room of the house has the least noise.
1: <laughs> you you sound very uh, sharp and clear, and we hear no background noise right now, Mark. So whatever, wherever you're hiding, just stay there. Stay right there. Go ahead. What are you <laughs> drinking?
4: <laughs> what I'm drinking. Pretty much the same thing, Colleen. Uh, Bonnie, um, not Colleen, um, tea. Uh, And if you remember from the old shows, that's what I like to drink in the morning, the Indian variant of it, which we call chai, so it's got its spices and all of those sort of things. But um, that is what I'm drinking. And as far as startup focus is concerned now, it's been, it's been a few years that I've been with the team in this role as the startup engagement lead, and I continue to be humbled by the, uh, the tenacity and just the innovativeness of the entrepreneurs we meet. Um, but we are, we are one of the groups within SAP that embodies this, this concept of partnering with entrepreneurs um, whose, and their startups uh, to bring that innovation to our customers. Uh, SAP does a lot of work in this space, uh, different types of work um, all the way from providing seed and incubation funding uh, and mentorship all the way through what we do in Startup Focus which is looking at startups that are a little bit more mature than that um, and have an understanding of uh, business in the enterprise B2B space Are building solutions for that uh, helping them uh, through various next generation partnering models and in that journey, uh, you know, we met with uh, both Colleen and Avi from uh, uh, IP Gallery, and we found that their solutions were very, very relevant to our mm-hmm. public sector customers today and tomorrow. Um, and we helped them through the program bring their solutions closer to SAP technology uh, and the SAP stack. And now we're in the process of helping them actually acquire customers. Um, and uh, that is what we do here at, at Startup Focus. That's you know, that's the team
1: I'm part of. Thank you very much, Mark. Always nice to know. And I was going to ask you what's new there and what's new uh, is Colleen and, and Michelle and their colleagues. So thank you very much. I have an announcement for my panel. We're going to skip the break because it's already just about half past and we have so much to cover. We started out with a bang talking about e-government and government 2.0 and let's just do a Deep dive right into the topic here. And there's a word we need to bring up. Colleen, I'm looking at your third statement you sent. I think this is very important. So let me read it. And then you can comment. And we'll go around the table. Colleen, we'll start it. And then we'll go to Michelle and Mark. And then Colleen will wrap it up. And then I'll pick something from Michelle's list and then Mark. So Colleen says, quote, changing the relationship between the public and the public sector for the positive will come through a process that is authentic and simultaneously, here we go, Privacy protecting, Colleen. Seriously, is there anything left in terms of privacy? Oh, can we can we take it back what we've given away? Talk to me about how this works with government and government two please.
2: Well, absolutely, we can. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the concept of privacy by design, but no. privacy by design comes with uh, seven criteria in the way that you architect your uh, online engagement to ensure that people's privacy is protected while still uh, ensuring the integrity of the feedback data that you're collecting. Oh. Uh, so in the case of PlaySpeak, which is is my company, that's precisely what we do. People sign up and verify their location uh, through a number of different steps, but their private information is never shared with uh, whoever's conducting the consultation. Uh, Say it's a city. They know that it's a real person that is within whatever relevant jurisdictional boundaries, but they never have to touch the private information that the individual used to verify themselves in the first place. So privacy by design is something that everybody should be aware of. The term was coined by uh, the former privacy commissioner in the province of Ontario in Canada, Anne Cavoukian. Uh It's now been translated into 38 languages or maybe more by now and is being accepted globally as a standard for that simultaneous protection of privacy um, and, and ensuring that you've got reliable uh, data. Thank you very much. I just helpful? looked it up.
1: Yeah, I looked it up. Of course I did. You know that Privacy by Design you a concept, Dr. Ann Kavuki. And anybody wants to look her up, C-A-V-O-U-K-I-A-N, developed back in the 1990s to address the ever-growing and systemic effects of information and communication technologies and large-scale networked data systems. Uh, it was. They also say it was developed by uh, David Chom, Ivan Domgaard, Jan Kamanish, Stefan Brands, and blah, blah, blah. Very, very interesting. And there are seven foundational principles you can find at ryerson.ca this is fascinating Colleen uh, let's let's talk to Michelle are you familiar with this concept of privacy by design and what do you think about the issue of privacy in wanting to participate in government and, and what can we take back or what can we not give away in the first place Michelle
3: privacy is a major issue and there's a lot of regulation going on uh, around it as we know worldwide and um, it's a problem because, on the one hand, we want to be well-served, that everyone knows exactly what our needs are, which, um, mm-hmm. um, what are the neighborhood needs, what are my specific needs. If there is a heat wave and I don't have uh, any transportation needs, I would like the city to come and pick me up and take me to the cooling area. So we want to be understood and That there is an intimate relationship, that the government will know my needs on the one hand, and yet on the other hand, we are very keen to preserve our privacy and that nobody will abuse the information about us. It's complex, and um, I think that the privacy by design is a good way of
1: um, approaching this. Thank you Michelle. Mark Nerona, love to get your thoughts on this.
4: It's complicated, Bonnie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to to put it mildly uh, as Michelle was saying. So, yes, privacy by design is definitely, you know, uh, a great way to go. Um but I think the there's also something deeper there, which is that this is not just a one-way street, right? This is not just about citizens uh, wanting things from the government. Um, Citizens comprise the government, and the Mm -hmm. government expects certain things from the citizens, for example, Mm -hmm. safety and security. Now, um, whilst there's a privacy issue, there is an attendant security expectation that citizens have from the government. Um, And that Security, as we have now come to the painful realization, comes uh, at a cost. It involves a certain amount of uh, intrusion into that uh, space that we we have to now considered private. We still even today consider private. And uh, so I don't know what the right answer to this is, but I do believe that uh, the principles embodied within, you know, uh, what is, called privacy by design are definitely, you know, in the right direction, but there needs to be more than that. There needs to be an understanding that um, at the end of the day, be, we are evolving to a world where government will make certain decisions for the greater good, um, mm-hmm. by, driven by the mandate that has been given to them to create secure living spaces for all of us. And that security and privacy are sometimes at odds.
1: Thank you very much. Very well put. And and I want to say thank you uh, to all of you around the table. But Michelle, I love the idea that if you need help, if you need help in a dire situation or a lack of heat or cool or something or a flood or a fire, and you need them to know where you are, you are Contributing, participating, your location, your personal information, and then what happens at that point. So, thank you very much. That's that's a reality check there, Colleen. I'm going to give you a moment to wrap this one up before I move on to something equally compelling from Michelle Specter's list. So, Colleen, anything you want oh, to I add? I
3: would like to add one thing, Bonnie. For oh yes, me? sure, Michelle. Sure. Yes. Um, I think there is um, a need to redefine the trust between government and the people. Um, and that's where the privacy and security comes in. Because the digital age, the the game all has changed. So um, we can't be paranoid about people or organizations. The government, for the sake of this talk, knows things about us. It's just how we agree and how we feel confident that
1: they have this data and they use it well for, for our benefits. Thank you very much. Very well put, Colleen. Anything you want to add to that?
2: Well, we can we can know uh, that people, for example, are within jurisdictional boundaries without knowing uh, private information about them. Uh, you know, to do to do with their their address or phone number, or email address, or other points where they might be. Uh, uh, Providing information to make again reinforce that there's they are a real person, but I think that the larger question with trust is we believe um, that we elect representatives to represent us, we have, and we we want them to represent what their um, their constituents believe. And people can't see a relationship there. They don't see that the feedback that they're providing is actually having any impact on outcomes, whether those are decisions mm-hmm. or policies. So I think it's incumbent on government as we move into the the next generation of o- open government or government 2.0, as you were describing it, to ensure that people can see, because seeing is believing. They need to be able to see that they're their input is having an effect on the outcome. And in doing so, I think that uh, restoring trust will uh, be achievable.
1: Very important. I'm glad we got the trust word in there as a tag-along for the word privacy. They do go together. Thank you. Michelle, I'm looking at your notes here, and you bring up something interesting. Let me just read this statement, and then you can add to it. You say, cities are realizing that in the era of IoT, that, of course, is Internet of Things, citizens are still the best sensors. S-E-N-S-O-R-S, in quotes, in the city. And you add, cities more than ever need to put citizens at the center, listen to the citizens, understand their citizens' needs, and learn to Respond to citizens' concerns and feedback effectively. So, talk to me about this concept. I love the metaphor in the era of IoT, citizens are still the best sensors. Michelle, tell us more, please. The era of IoT has the promise that everything will be connected,
3: Internet of Things or the Internet of Everything. Mm -hmm. And um, we'll just gather the data, we'll do all the smart analytics and predictions and uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence mechanisms, and we'll have a lot of value to offer citizens and governments, and we'll be smart. But um, you cannot eliminate the need for the citizen participation, and citizens... As I say, are the best sensors in many ways. For this, we can have a system of um, identifying uh, leakage in pipes in cities. But um, to identify a leakage in a pipe in um, miles and miles of pipes in the city, it might be very complex. But if I walk my dog in the neighborhood and I come across a park and suddenly my dog goes licking those hoses there because there is a leakage of water, mm-hmm. and I feel responsible enough to notify my city that, hey, there is here a leakage of water, and I can even push a little video up to the main operation control center of the city and say, take care of this. So. It means the citizens are the best sensors because I can put millions of sensors out there, and I will miss this one leakage. Or yes. um, the same with um, with cameras. If a city mm-hmm. has thousands of cameras across the city, um, and they have to go and check all abnormalities and um, just go through all these cameras. It will take a long, long time to identify something, that if a person is there and something happens, if there's a crowd of people or uh, noisy kids uh, after hours in the park, I will just mm-hmm. notify the city and say, please, go take care of this. I can't sleep at night. Yes. Um Or maybe Mark will uh, call the city hall to tell the neighbors to stop their construction work now that he has to
1: be on the show.
4: (laughs) I wish, I wish.
1: (laughs) I I have tried that. I have have actually bribed construction crews when I lived in a a co-op building in in Great Neck on Long Island. When they were going to do construction, I have bribed them with fresh-baked cupcakes and later on a bottle of wine for the foreman and said, would you mind moving to somebody else's terrace because I'm on live radio and I can't have you guys bagging and they did it and they look forward to fresh baked muffins from me every time they came on a Wednesday and they wanted to do their work. This went on for a while. It was it was <laughs> fun to have somebody to bake for, but I digress. I, I love the concept, Michelle. It's so important. And yes many of us do know how to pick up the phone or email the local police department or the mayor or somebody and say, hey what's going on? There's a party across the street. It's two in the morning or uh why was that person's door left open or there's a car crash outside. I, I really appreciate the concept that we are the best sensors. Mark, love to get your thoughts on this one and then Colleen, and we'll move around the table. Go ahead, Mark.
4: So, yeah, I think conceptually what Michelle said is, is really really interesting, right? When she said there's millions of us out there and we are the best sensors. Um so there's, there's I think there's this tremendous opportunity now that's evolving there and and I think, you know, I want to actually sound out a positive note here that if you look at so I live in California I live in uh, Menlo Park, which is Mm -hmm. considered the heart of the Silicon Valley and if I look around, these are I was in a conversation with um, the CIO of the city of Palo Alto and he mentioned something interesting, he said, well, you know this is an affluent city Um, and yes, we keep winning awards uh, as being one of the smartest cities uh, in the U.S. Uh, We're a small city, and uh, we're able to roll out technology which leads to citizen engagement and which helps us get these awards as being a smart city. The challenge becomes when the cities are much larger. Um, So I think this is at least in the U.S. and uh, in some of the developing world, uh, we're beginning to see a lot of this technology get out there. And it is currently becoming, it's at the early stages, but it's becoming a habit to communicate with the city. So this, the missing manhole cover or the pipe leak, I think the important thing is when the mindset changes, when it becomes a natural behavior to just take a photograph and send it to the city, saying, hey, uh, here's something for you to fix. Today, what's happened is, you know, with the span of the last, I don't know, 50 years, there are many cities in this world where the citizens basically look at the manhole and don't feel like doing anything because they know that even if they do, nothing's going to happen. Uh, now, if they're given a technology to be able to communicate back with the city, the chances are that that's the first step. And I think that's what's really happening on the planet today is that we're seeing a technology being put out by a set of committed uh, city administrators, officials, um, even elected representatives. Um, And over a period of time, over the next decade or so, we'll see these cities leading, this technology leading to a cultural shift in the method in which and the ease with which we communicate back with the city and with the government, therefore. Um, that cultural shift is then going to help us solve some of the bigger problems, um, for example, privacy and security.
1: Thank you very much. Let's go around the table to Colleen Hardwick at speak Colleen, thoughts about the citizens being the best censors? What do you think?
2: We need to be mindful about the difference between using sensors, which are effectively surveilling people
0: mm-hmm. to
2: observe their behavior and make judgments based on what we're learning uh, by observing people versus asking them the question and and getting. A, a conscious answer or or conscious feedback from them. So I just differentiate, we need to think about this quite a bit in, in the context of the Internet of Things, about how we, we blend the um, active voice of people contributing feedback to um, passive means of gathering feedback through sensors and surveilling people. I think we need both. And I think we can learn from both, uh, but we, we just need to be mindful that the two blend together uh, to create the best possible information for, again, decision-making and public policy development.
1: Thank you very much, Colleen. Michelle, anything you want to add to this before I sneak in another topic here from Mark's list, something I want to talk about? Go ahead, Michelle.
3: I go back to the trust issue. Uh, for example, in the city of New York, um, they have over i think I have the right figure eighty five thousand reports of burned light bulbs, and most of them are just false reports, so maybe there is over engagement there you know people I don't know who is reporting in, but um just people just report of burned light bulbs when it's, they're working fine, and the city doesn't know, so they send out the engineers and uh, the crew and everyone, and uh, there is more pollution and more traffic and waste of energy, and the light is working fine. So it takes really an educating phase of um, government on the one hand and the citizens, the digital citizens. Yes, you have this great app. You can report Problems, but you just can't go and press the button constantly, with, with there's no real problem. So Interesting. I
1: think there is a learning curve. Absolutely, and I'm, I'm reading here from the NYC.gov, and this is the New York DOT Department of Transportation Streetlights. They say DOT maintains over 250,000 streetlights throughout New York City and is a national leader in using sustainable street lighting. In the largest such project in the U.S., DOT is blah, blah, blah. If you see a small flashing red light next to the street light bulb, call 311 to report it immediately. The light indicates an issue with the electrical system in that light. Interesting. <laughs> (laughs) Maybe that's why. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that is why. And now they say here, uh, DOT accepts reports of broken, defective, or fallen streetlights. You may also request installation of a new light or relocation of an existing one. The review may take up to 12 weeks. Are we talking about responsive here? (laughs) The review may take up to 12 weeks, and you will receive a response once the review is completed. This is from nyc.gov, and this is resources in the city talking about if you want a bulb, or want a light removed or removed. I think I don't <laughs> think that it. If it takes 12 weeks to replace a light bulb, I'm sorry. You know the jokes about us. How many psychiatrists does it take to check? We won't even go there. Thank you very much, Mark. I'm gonna I'm gonna move on here. We used the word platform in the beginning. I did it in my intro, Mark, and I really want to make sure we squeeze this, and we have just about four minutes before we go to our predictions round. So let's make that's our our last topic you say as with web 2.0 the real secret of success in government 2.0 is thinking about government as a platform and you say if there's one thing we learned from the tech industry it's that every big winner has been a platform company someone whose success has enabled others built on their work and multiplied its impact so mark just briefly tell us how do we get to government as a platform or are we there yet
4: Oh, we're definitely not there yet, but we're heading in, in that direction. And how do we get there? Well, you know, in, in, um, so first of all, um, credit. Conceptually, I, I liked this idea in something that I read uh, from Tim O'Reilly a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to give you credit to Mr. O'Reilly, who's a prolific and a fantastic thinker. Now, secondly, I totally agree with what he says. That and what we are seeing evolve, and what we call government 2.0 is basically platform thinking, where the, there is an expectation from both parties, from the governments, there is an expectation of becoming transparent, putting, making their data available. Okay, um, not making it available to a select set of people, but making it available to the average citizen. Um, so that he can do things with it, maybe uh, interpret it, you in know, in whatever way uh, he or she would like to. Um, now, this began. We saw it um, uh, when you know the office of the CTO um, in Washington DC a few years ago, um, you know, started pushing this entire concept of. Making government data available, it took you know it took the form of the open data movements that we've seen across so many different um, uh, states in uh, in the U.S., um, where now it's pretty standard behavior to expect that government data at the federal and at the state level is available, and it's available the web services that they have. Um, are available, Um, they're documented, you can instantaneously access a variety of data, not just train and bus schedules, um, but a lot of data, procurement data, um, uh, you know, all sorts of data that uh, government departments are now publishing. Well, when you start thinking about platforms, then that's one of the key things is you know, that availability of data. Mm-hmm. Then the next piece is around that, which is how do you make it easy for people to interact with the data? What do you do when uh, people create um, an app that just is is something that adds a lot of value to other citizens and adds a lot of value to government? How do you, you know, how do you, accelerate that engagement with the transparency and ease of use that you are trying to drive as a government, right? Um, these are all the things that the tech industry has been really, really, really good at. Um, and that's where this whole concept of platform thinking has really emerged. Um, and, I, and I see, at least in the U.S., I see a, a step in that direction. I see an attempt by the governments Mm -hmm. at the federal and at the state and at the local level to make an attempt to do it. Are they successful completely? Obviously not. Um, Is it a disaster? No. No. Don't believe. Mark,
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna say thank you. Great comments. I have to move to the predictions. So since you're still speaking, Mark, Colleen, forgive me. I'm gonna give Mark the first sixty seconds for predictions. Mark, why don't you finish your thought and turn it into a prediction, sixty seconds, then Colleen and then Michelle. Mark, we are officially in the crystal ball predictions round. What do you predict for governments? Go ahead.
4: I predict that governments will have a far more evolved um take on the blockchain um, over the span of the next 5 to 10 years, and that each of us as individual citizens uh, will find the blockchain playing a critical part in our interactions with government.
1: Well, that's an interesting one. We didn't even talk about that today. I'm looking at Christina here. I'm, I'm uh, texting with her. And I'm saying, hey, that might be a, a topic for another show on uh, startups and technology and Blockchain and governments. Whoa! Okay, Christina, we just handed you another topic. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Colleen, <laughs> always trying to parlay the conversation as a platform into something else. Colleen Hardwick at Place Speak Love to get your comments. What do you predict, Colleen? I can give you a
2: whole ninety seconds. Go ahead, Colleen. Well, I'll riff on uh, Mark's remarks about blockchain. Blockchain, uh, in its use for citizen identity, I see as as holding the key to the future. Because we need to develop, and government I think understands this, a citizen-centered model that is, is bo- both a push and a pull model. Because we've got all of this great open data that departments at all levels of government, cities, uh, counties, states, even the federal government are, are making available. But it's, it's on the website, a destination that people have to go to. So as we're able to um, refine our approach to identity, then people can be informed of things that are relevant to them. And so whether it's local government with things like land use chains, rezonings, development permits, or things that that, uh, affect school districts, transportation authorities, they're going to focus on the individual. And the individual is going to be able to choose what they're informed about, how often, and um, uh, it really putting it in the hands of the individual uh, rather than having to go hunt around websites to find data open or not.
1: Thank you. That's very provocative and very future-looking. And, Michelle Spector, I have 60 seconds plus a little bit of a smidge for you to go ahead. Give me your prediction, please, Michelle. Okay. I
3: definitely agree with Mark. Blockchain will be a key player for the reason of security, as we mentioned, and also um government currency that is secured and safe, but um looking at the government per se a platform is a great idea because it gives it opens it to new to new work processes and new um workflows to be implemented in the day to day lives. So I think federal government will be more focused on the homeland security issues and um move the responsibility of, um, of public safety, lifestyle, day-to-day activities to the municipalities, the states and cities. So I think there will be a reconstruction of the government in the different hierarchy of um, responsibilities.
1: Thank and definitely citizens will be put in the center. You, we yes, cannot and we- have... We keep hearing that theme, and I think that's what we're going to have to end on. We have 30 seconds till the end, Michelle. Thank you so much. Michelle Spector at IP Gallery, such a pleasure to speak with you, and thank you for letting us contact you in Israel tonight. We really appreciate your time. Colleen Hardwick at PlaySpeak, always a delight. And I say that in the in the most wonderful way to have you and your savvy and your insights, Colleen. Hope to speak with you again. And Mark Nerona, don't be a stranger. Come back. And Christina Sosa, and Manju Bunzal, thank you so much for sponsoring this series, Aaron at the Business Channel, World Talk Radio. You rock, kiddo. Thanks for getting us on the air and keeping us there. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. It's been real. We learned a lot. We'll be back soon. I'll be back tomorrow with a live edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers, 11 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Business Channel. So here's my call to action. Feet, feet, fast, fast. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Colleen, just like Michelle, just like Mark. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on The Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.